yoga teachers, mindfulness leaders, and energy workers. Are you ready to stop side hustling and start making an income doing what you love? Welcome to the Marketing Off The Mat Podcast. Each week, your host, Jessica Cross, dives into conversations with successful creatives in wellness, business, marketing, and more to uncover practical methods to take your business from A to B and have some fun along the way. Grab some tea and pull up a seat. Let's dive into this episode. Welcome back to the show. It's Jessica and you're listening to Marketing Off the Mat. I'm so glad that you're here. You guys are in for such a treat when it comes to learning all things sales and how to feel confident and congruent in your sales process. We have the incredible Josh Brio on the show today. Josh is the founder of the Yogipreneur Collective and the head coach at Nomad Business Coaching, a consulting company that helps yoga studio owners systemize their businesses for more profit and peace of mind mind. He is so generous with all of his wisdom and his experience, and he's going to help us really understand the sales process and how it is a part of the path, not separate from it. So let's take a listen. Hey, Josh, how are you? Good, Jessica. I'm so good. Thank you for having me on. Oh, yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you for taking the time to be with us today. I'm so excited to learn all about you and some really authentic ways we can sell in our businesses. Heck yeah, let's do it. I'm excited to chat, to, you know, send your audience away, all you listeners with something tangible, valuable, something to actually sink your teeth into, something action oriented. So we'll, we'll get there, I'm sure. Oh, yes, I know we will. I'm, I'm excited. So, okay. Uh, and we read, heard a little bit about you in the intro, but I know that's just, you know, a tip of the iceberg. So tell us a little bit about you and your career journey and how it brought you to us today. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I just recently uh, got a new like digital business card and there's limited space that you can like put your title on it. So I had to reformulate what I would say on, on these things. But, you know, basically, uh, I would call myself an, an ethical business coach. I am the founder of the Yogapreneur Collective, which is a private community for yoga entrepreneurs. I also work with a company called Walla as an executive rep for them. Um, mostly working in their sales team. I'm a dad. I'm a full-time nomad as well. So that's the quick synopsis. But uh, the backstory to your question and, and really like, what do I do? Primarily, I've been helping, um, I guess, passionpreneur businesses mostly really figure out how to make more money and also make a larger impact through integral team developments, sound systems, community-oriented marketing, sort of, you know, I wouldn't call it grassroots, but like the human to human connection part of things and getting that really straight because I have yet to meet someone who opens up passion-based business and says, you know what? The reason I opened my yoga studio is because I love business. It's not <laughs> primary motivator behind it. But the truth is right now, if you don't get your business acumen up to snuff, if you don't start to hone in your sales processes, if you don't look at it that way and treat it seriously, um, you just won't be able to make that bigger impact that you do set out to do. You have to have that component dialed in as well. So that's where someone like me comes in. 
Mm, yeah, that's so good. And I, I love what you said. It's like we we don't often arrive at the door of our new studio or roll out our mat to teach our first classes because we love business. It's because the the, the passion that brought us to this space. And um, I'm just so glad that we have folks like you that can help us level up and you know really understand what it is that we need to do to, to make like an impact and actually make a living doing it at the same time. Totally. I took that note down before we jumped on to how to actually make a living doing this. Like that. <laughs> if you could sum up what's the objective, that's it right there. But, you know, I would take it even further. I would say one of the paradigm shifts, if we're talking especially like yoga specifically, that's more, you know, that leans into my speciality and, and obviously for you and your audience as well, where a lot of people are coming from. The big thing is that yoga has actually taught you a lot more about business than you realize. Everything I know about business, I also know it in and from yoga, but we have to unlearn some of the business dogmas and sort of negative narratives that are associated with it and realize the actual connection between the two. If yoga means union or to yoke and connect, then how is business not part of it? Of course it is. It's just the vehicle of distribution that we've culturally decided to use. And currently it's the best one. Mm, yeah, I love that. And I, I think too, I, probably many folks that are listening, they may have felt um, you know, uncomfortable around money when it comes to their business and actually charging for classes or you know, actually charging you know, a fair wage uh, that they could actually pay their teachers. And I think you just, you nailed it. It's like, if it's, if it's not together, then, you know, really what, what is the yoga that it's the exact antithesis of what it is that we're trying to do. And in, in that case, so, so, so tell us a little bit more, like, tell us a little bit more about, you know, how can we actually like sell in a way that feels authentic? And, you know, as we said, the, the end game is to make a living. So not only we feel filled up, but yoga continues. Yeah. I think, um, you know, there's a few different angles you could take with this, but you know, my backstory a little bit is I grew up in a yoga family. I didn't even like yoga <laughs> when I was first doing it. Um, I grew up in a yoga family, but then it sort of came back into my life after I aged out of playing hockey in Canada. I was banged up and it gave me a lot of physical benefit. But I always tell the story like at that moment that I was rediscovering a practice, it was the owner of the studio at the time that had just a really normal conversation with me about what I was trying to accomplish personally and physically and how a yoga practice could fit into that. And they sold me an annual pass and I threw down the money. So I then went from being a once to two times a week, take a few weeks off, forget about it, jump back in practitioner to having a four or five day a week habitual practice. And if we look at like the objective of that owner was to build a space for people to come and improve their lives, then for me, the gateway to finding a habitual practice, because let's back up too. If we were to ask anyone, any yoga teacher out there, if you had to tell your students, what is the first tenant of success? Like what's the first thing that they have to do to really get what they want out of a yoga practice? It's consistency. Whether it's once a week, twice, five, it's just come every week, like do yoga and then do it again and then do it again and do it again. So if that's true and you're trying to build a habitual yoga practice, the gateway to that is they have to commit to it. Our cultural commitment and gateway is a sale. So if I hadn't made that purchase, I would have still been practicing, but would I have then gone on to 
you know, become a yoga teacher, manage studios, build multiple studios, have my own stu big studio with my wife that we then sold and then travel around all over North America and visit studios. Like, I don't know, maybe <laughs> but <laughs> one of those moments I think back to and say, or that was the fork in the road. And that had to do with the salesperson that was there. So if, if what I'm saying is true, then it's really changing the paradigm in your mind first that sales are not a slime ball negative thing. We can talk about why people think that and where that comes from in that I would go so far as to say, if you really believe that your business and the product that your business is delivering can positively impact the world, can change my life. And I mean, I've got stories I can tell you too, that like can maybe save my life. Then you have a moral obligation to serve it to me to the best of your ability. In which case, part of that service is you have to help me find a yoga practice. In which case, part of that service is you have to be able to sell me something. Mm, that's so good. And if, if you can't sell, like if you don't have the, the means in order to continue offering the thing that you need to sell so that your student can have this type of transformation and consistency, you have nothing. Like the, the yoga does not continue at the end of the day. Totally. I mean, if we look at yoga from a business perspective in Western culture throughout history, we've gone through these interesting eras of time, right? It actually was surprisingly prevalent, even like at the turn of the 18 to 1900s, but it just wasn't like publicly discussed. But when we fast forward, where we first see it sort of proliferate is it moves into the fitness era, we'd call it, which was like late 90s, early 2000s. And because at that time, people understood the physical benefits of it. But around 2000, maybe 10, we switched into the marketing era. And we've just now switched into the digital era. But it's not to say that any previous era ceases to be true. It's like a new layer on top. So the big differentiator here is when we say fitness era, we could also say product, the biggest controlling factor for your business success as a yoga person at that time in Western culture was just the quality of your class. That's it. But 2010, when we switched into the marketing era for the first time in history, your ability to communicate the value of your product is more important than what your product is. Mm -hmm. So in other words, like you could literally be the greatest yoga teacher on the planet, but if you can't quote, sell me, if you can't explain to me why I should try it out, why I should participate, spend the time, put the effort in. I just, I'll never experience it to find out that you're so great. And conversely, even if you convince me to come in for one class, if I am looking for something to have high impact on my life, I want, I'm coming to you because I have anxiety and I want to de-stress. I'm coming to you because I'm lacking mobility. I have body pain. Uh, what I want to be part of a community of, of smart people. Like, any of these things, is that, are any of those things going to happen in one class? <laughs> Probably not. I mean, yeah. I know, you could be a total rock star, but like. It's an amazing class. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I wish. Probably not, which means it's not just the upfront explanation and sale. It's the deeper ongoing, continuing communication and sale that has to be happening. You're constantly selling me why I need to be practicing, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I think you're, you nailed it. It's like, if we can't describe what it is that we do, why it is that it's important and what you're going to get from it, which is basically marketing and sales in a nutshell, 
we could be the best teacher. We could have the most amazing studio space and we can't get people to either come in or stay, then, you know, we're doing a disservice really to, you know, not only the student, but ourselves, because this is what we're so passionate about. This is why we showed up and this is why we're interested in making this business possible. It's, it all falls apart if we can't communicate what it is that we do and, and why people need it. Yeah. Totally. And, you know, then, then there's another layer. Then we started getting a little deeper into it too, because the other paradigm shift is there's a really hard truth here. Let's face it, your individual class, when we look at you versus all of people who could come into it, it's probably not that special. <laughs> I know we all want to believe, well, I like my playlists are fire and I got the right sequencing and I'm really good at the cues verbally, but then also body length, like, sure. But, but really, if we're leaving it up to only that, it's, I, I'm probably not that special. It's probably not that great. And so that is the precursor. The other detail when we look at sales is realizing that sales literally impact every single other element of your entrepreneurship. So if you want to have consistent cash flow, if you want to increase your profit and your revenue, if you want to be better at hiring people or building up a team and keeping them inspired and engaged, if you want to build brand evangelism around the people who are practicing with you, if you want to increase your uh, the volume or the velocity of your business, if you want to have better retention, these are all tied to sales in some way. So if that's true, and if your class by itself isn't enough to make the sale, then as an entrepreneur, your ability to sell is, in my opinion, the single most powerful skill that you can develop. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. And there's some tough truths in there too. Is, you know, I think as you were saying, it's like, I make the best playlist around. Of course, everyone's going to just come on in, but I have to be able to really double down and communicate clearly, you know, what transformation is it that these students are going to get from coming to my class and why it's vital to their life so much that they, they need to plan for it in their budget so they can continue to come back. Yeah, I agree. And I think to go one layer deeper on that too, the diff where sales and marketing, they're related to each other, you know, but marketing is really, in my opinion, it's an amplification of sales. So I think many people right now would say that I need more marketing because I need more people in my doors or whatever else. But if you actually go further down the rabbit hole of why do you think you need more marketing, what we really uncover is I need sales. Like I need money, actually. I need to, and your existing clients are way more efficient to sell to than new clients. So most people I think in, in the industry are focusing marketing when really marketing is further down the road for many of them. First, it's get your sales right. Because even if we market, we get 200 people to come to your studio or to your class today, how many of them are going to be left over afterwards? That's the real question. Mm. So if you only get 20 out of 200, only 10% of them end up on something, or we could just go get 20 people close all of them because we're good at sales. I mean, which one sounds easier to do? Go get 200 or go get 20. But we can't look at it that way until our sales process is really strong. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think also it's important to highlight, like, what are you solving for on more of a personal level too? Because what this could look like, and I, I have this conversation very often with entrepreneurs, is, okay, I have this great product. I've spent literally hundreds or even thousands of hours 
honing my craft and educating myself. I really care about it. I built my website. I've got a logo up. I'm doing the free Instagram thing every Tuesday at five because that's what someone told me I should do. Like all the stuff. And I'm super passionate about it, but I'm not, there's no reciprocity. People are not super engaged and pumped and, and, and helping me like snowball and build a business on itself. I'm not making enough to feel like I might be scraping by, but it's like, that doesn't feel right for me for how much energy I'm putting towards it. And then over time, your enthusiasm wanes and that's when you end up in entrepreneurial burnout and then you give up. And the cost of that hypothetically, like now you have no ripple effect, no impact on people's lives and, and the larger market. So that's not really an option, but that in between of like, I, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm not sure what to do next. I have decision fatigue. I have to teach this class because I committed to it, but I don't want to teach that class. That's a shitty place to be. So we look at it like, how do I get out of this? I got to get organized. I got to do this. I got to do the other thing. Very often, really the, the most impactful thing you could do is we need to be able to sell. <laughs> let's let's yeah. sell something. Because there's a funny thought and it's maybe minorly controversial. I'm not sure where the quote uh, originates, but it's this idea that like, if you have a problem, but then money can solve the problem, it's not a problem. The problem itself isn't the problem. The problem is acquiring the money. So if that's true, then if you can sell and you are confident in that and you can produce money, a bunch of your problems aren't problems anymore. Hmm. You didn't have enough time. You need to hire someone. Well, you got to pay them. Well, how are you going to do that? You got to sell something first. Mm -hmm. You need to invest in a CRM platform or you want to, you know, sign up for a different tech partner or whatever. Like, anyone is that, do I, can I afford this or not? Like, that shouldn't even be a question. If you're selling, those are, if you got money flow coming in, those are not questions anymore. They're yeah. not problems. Yeah, that does solve that does solve a lot. <laughs> no, it's not going to get rid of all your problems, but I mean, like, there's lot. some pretty major ones. Yeah, 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 for sure. So, okay, we, we're, you know, really, like, intellectually, it's like I know I need to know how to sell. Like, that's so important, you know, as a teacher, as a business owner. Like, I've got to really hone in on this. But you know, kind of we were alluding to before there might be like this intellectualizing of the need to sell. But when I actually come down to it, for whatever reason, maybe I'm feeling like it's a slimy thing. Like I feel super uncomfortable. So how do people overcome that? Like first inclination that they feel very salesy, quote unquote. Yeah. This is such a good question. Thank you for asking. <laughs> I mean, I, whenever I do a sales training too, we'll ask the room, like if I say salesperson, like let's ask, let's play the game. You and I even like, okay, let's go. I say salesperson, Jessica, who comes to mind? Who's the person that pops into your mind? Oh, like they're in a suit, you know, they're, maybe they're sweating a little bit. Like they're trying to sell me a car. <laughs> okay. So we got our used car salesman. It's always like that or vacuum. And there's a little bit of like, <laughs> that was next. Yeah. That has a little bit about age too there. So, okay. In your, like, in your inner gut feeling, how do you feel about that person? just uncomfortable. I, I, I don't feel comfortable around them that they're, you know, they just, they don't care about me. They just want to sell me something. Right. What is their objective? Mm, to sell me literally anything. Because they want your money. Yeah. So 
we are biologically wired to put up a wall and to resist anyone trying to take something from us. In mm. fact, it's the irony as a total tangent of yoga. People come to yoga because they want a transformation and then they will do everything in their power to not change. Like to not, <laughs> as, as teachers, we'll see that happen all the time, right? Yeah. So that's just human nature. But when we talk about it from a sales perspective and we imagine this person, at its core, it's because we are intelligent enough to very quickly identify that this person is trying to take our money from us. Therefore, we will want to resist them. Hmm. They're disingenuous. We don't trust them. We don't have confidence in even the product anymore that they're selling us because they're going to say anything because of that core thing. So the first piece of the puzzle is don't be that person. Like just what would the antithesis of that look like? So here's the, here's the thing. Like one of the first rules of sales is that sales have to be a solution to a problem is in its simplest form. And the salesperson's job is to serve something to someone. So if your product is a yoga class, as the example we've been using, you have to right at your very deepest core, realize that the exchange of finance or whatever else for it is the least important piece of the puzzle. Don't even talk about it or look at it. The first thing is, how do I serve you, the client in front of me, the human being in front of me, something that is going to help you solve a problem, improve your life, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. It's like it, when you kind of remove that as, and, and set it as the lowest priority, then you really do focus on what it is that you want to offer to somebody and that, you know, you know, in your heart of hearts is going to offer that transformation. It's not even about the money at that point. Yeah. When we trace sales teams, we have a, we have an ethical safety rule. The ethical safety rule is this. If you are talking to someone and you at the end of the conversation can legitimately conclude that this person should not purchase the product, not only like it would be not in their best interest at all to purchase the product, don't sell it to them. Mm. That's it. Because the close of the sale isn't really the, the purpose. The purpose is to serve the person in front of you. The luck of the draw for most passionpreneurs is you're not selling trinkets. So this isn't some like cheaply made piece of plastic thing when we're talking about a service like a yoga practice. If someone comes to you and says, I want to improve my life in these ways, and you're like, yeah, yoga practice is good for that, then you got to try to serve to them. You got to try to sell to them. You can, and you can be very confident in it in general. So I always challenge then after that, like, that's the safety rule, but give me the example. Who's the person that's ever stood in front of you in your studio or online in your Zoom class or whatever else? And you've been like, you know what? You shouldn't do yoga. <laughs> <laughs> bad idea for you. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's an, I mean, that's an amazing analogy. Like I, I love that. It's like, we're not selling plastic trinkets. We're selling like life-changing tools that really, like really, really support us as humans, you know, with whatever we're going through and that's going to change too. So this is a, you know, it's a, it's a drop-in yoga class that we're talking about, but you know, as it sounds for you and it was for me too, it's like, as soon as I learned yoga, I, you know, it's gone with me into the different phases of my life. So yeah, you're not, you're not selling a, 
you know, plastic keychain, you're, you're selling like literal life tools. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think one of the things too, that you're identifying so articulately is just every person that's a yoga teacher who opens a yoga business of some sort or a yoga studio, there's a deeper reasoning. Like it's already, you've already personally experienced in your own journey, this transition of power and it's brought you something. And that can be simple. It can be literally as simple as I started practicing yoga and I just felt more like me. That's good enough. It doesn't have to be some monumental, crazy story, but you've already experienced that yourself. That's the, that's what you have to like think about and lean on and lean into in terms of like the energetics behind the sale up front. When I'm talking to someone else, you're coming from that place. If I sense that you are legitimately trying to help me and serve me something, then that wall starts to break down. It's not there anymore. And if we can come to, and it also, here's the other thing is like, there's a few little tiny details. Like I'm not convincing you of anything right now. Like anyone selling anything, it's highly unlikely that they're convincing you of something. What they're actually doing is confirming an existing belief that you have and reassuring you that you are in the right place. Mm, that's yeah. way more likely to be happening. So that means I'm not convincing you to start a yoga practice. I'm reassuring you that this is that your existing belief that it's a good idea is a good idea. And I'm helping you find an easy way for that to happen. Once we come to an agreement on how you should practice, then the specificity of the past that I sell you, that's just the final little checkbox. It's the, again, the least relevant part. Mm. Yeah. Well, there's, there's just so much there too. It's uh, yeah. I'm like, Oh, really? I'm packing. This is, this is so helpful. And I know people are listening to are like, yes, I so get it now. Thank you, Josh. <laughs> so, okay. You've given so many tips already, but if you had to give a couple more, like maybe just to round this out, somebody who's like, okay, I'm ready to get started and really own the sales process for my business. What would you offer them today? Yeah. Uh, the two primary ones that like immediate impact. Number one is you have to be in an active state. If you're in sales, people think that I'm going to be, let's use a yoga student's example. I'm at the desk. People are coming up and signing in when they're ready to buy the next thing. They'll come to me and buy. That's not how humans behave. It's just not true. I'm sorry. And people don't like that. But the truth is if you do not actively engage them in a sales conversation, the majority of people will not have one with you. They'll leave. They don't even dislike you. It's not like they didn't intend to buy the next thing. They'll just get distracted by something else and move on with their life and you'll lose them. Mm. So the first thing is be in a constant state of sales. You're always selling. It's not even selling like, give me your money. It's selling like we're selling the benefit of what we're doing. It's constant. You're always being engaging. You're always identifying who's in front of you. Are they prepared to have a deeper conversation about their next you know, way to participate with you on that level. It has to be very active. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Yeah, you're right. It's it, I, how there's so many things that people can get distracted by these days, even if they're in your studio space or they're in your Zoom room, or maybe especially in your Zoom room, <laughs> but that you have to give them that opportunity and to have just basically like holding their attention and yeah. getting them to commit to the thing that you know is going to help. Right. And sometimes a sale actually looks like we have a conversation and you don't even need to make another purchase at this point, but I'm selling you and reassuring you and reminding you about what it is that you're doing here. And 
basically I'm helping you with a little bit of personal accountability and inspiration. So you increase your practice from one time a week to two times a week. And that sounds small, but the science tells us people that increase practice frequency by one time per week in a yoga studio or boutique fitness are like 65% more likely to be there on membership next month. Mm. It's simple as that. So that you could call that retention, but retention is actually a result. The reason that happened is I sold them on an idea and I made sure they had a pass to facilitate that happening. If those things aren't there, it's impossible to retain someone. Another example of that would be, I know that most people are signing for a class ahead of time online before they ever get to a studio, but in the, in the simplest core essence, someone walks into a studio to do a yoga practice. It's their first time ever. Right at that exact moment, most studios are going to have a drop-in versus an intro pass. If you miss the sale of that intro pass, how are you going to get them to the next phase of a habitual practice? Hmm. I You're mean, not <laughs> unlikely. You might. I mean, you might. You might. But if I, I have zero commitment beyond that one class, if you sell me a drop-in. So this is where like we have some funny sayings in the last studio that I ran too, uh, before we sold it was like, if you say the word drop in before a student does, you're fired. And that was more <laughs> of a joke than serious. But it was like, you would never offer that because you have to have it there for special cases, but we're never going to actively promote that because that is incongruent with what I would actually tell you to do to get success to solve your problems and to improve your life, which is practice more. So I have to sell you an intro. Mm, yeah, that's so good. That's so good. And yeah, I, I love that you said that it was, it was a joke, but it's also like very serious. It's like the, the intention is to get people to come back, not just to drop in unless it's a special case. So we want to make sure that's not the first thing that we're, you know, pointing the customer to or the, the student to It's like, there's, there's a wealth of opportunity for you to continue to come back beyond that drop-in pass. So let's not even talk about it. <laughs> I haven't forgotten to give my second tip, so I'm going to come back to it. But okay, on, all right. On this, exact, on this exact point, though, too, the other way to look at this little exchange in the sale is a, a slight paradigm shift, too, is it's a micro-commitment. So if I, let's use the single class versus an intro pass situation, even though I may have only played $30 for 30 days of yoga at your studio versus $20 for a single class, it's only 10 bucks. Like, People, you spend 10 bucks on one drink at Starbucks these days, mm -hmm. right? So that's not what's actually holding me there. It's not because I spent the extra $10, I'm going to come more than one time. That being said, in the moment of me saying yes to it, I've made a commitment to myself to not do the single class. That's the difference. And if you play that through, uh, reverse it around and say, you've got two people, one person does a single class one person does the intro and then you phone both of them after the class and you're trying to convince them to come back and take another class. You can play it out really quickly for a lot of people, the ones that have no other obligation, you're like, Hey, it was cool that you did that drop in. Let's get you to do another class. And maybe we can find a different pass for you. And they're like, yeah, I'll think about it. I'll check online. They can be soft on it and you run into a dead end really quickly mm -hmm. because they made the purchase on the intro it's a totally different conversation now. Hey, it's awesome. Where did you go? How did your first class go? Whatever, whatever. Let's get you back in here again. Uh, it's a really good idea on your intro to try a few classes, check out some different styles, different teachers, whatever else. 
Do you want me to book you in for tomorrow? Like it's a completely different conversation. So because we made the first sale, it's getting easier when it's a little bit more intense in the sales process up front mm. as well. Mm, yeah, that's so good. And it's, uh, I love the way that you put that because that con- those two conversations from two students walked into the yeah. same class with the different past styles, like you've just made the whole situation so much easier for, for you and for them, which is, you know, the end of the day, we want them to come back. So I, I love that. that. And I think what you said too, is, you know, the drop-in pass is like a flash in a pan. It's like very, very easy pe- for people to just be like non-committal. I'll, you know, I'll check out the schedule. Yes. I loved it. I'll be back. But, you know, as we said, people get super distracted. So we're really kind of more helping them commit and encourage them to come back with that, that intro pass. So good tip. Sure, And I mean, on these things too, there's also just the, the brass tacks sort of business side of it too. Even if, okay, I let's use the same exact example. I pay 20 bucks for one class. That's a pretty good per class rate. Wow. We got a whole $20 for it. Or I spent $30 for an intro and then I come 10 times. My per class rate is very inexpensive you could make the debate like what's better to sell more of the 20. But the problem with that is you only got $20. And if I don't do anything else, that (laughs) the 30, I know it's only the $10 more, but like there's no opportunity, but there's also 50% loss in that first sale. And that Mm -hmm. amplifies through as you continue down the retention sales line. So that's why like I am, I'm way screaming from the yoga rooftops of like increase your drop-in prices. That's one of the first things that we do when we work with studios is that number needs to be absolutely as high as your market can possibly have it because not to deter people in the entirety, you still need it, but you don't actively want to sell it. And if someone's going to be in the position where they really legitimately should only do a single class and as a nomad traveling around, that's me very often. I don't, I'm totally happy to pay 25 bucks for the class. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't, need, it doesn't need to be $16, right? It's not 1994. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so true. It's so true. Yeah. You, you really want to incentivize the, you know, the person who's going to potentially coming back if they live in that area to just get the drop in or not to, to not get the drop in was exactly the opposite of what you said (laughs) to get the intro pass, but you know where I'm headed. So yeah, that, that, that drop in rate, I I see it too, you know, $15, sometimes less. And we really, we really need to not only encourage people to, you know, buy that intro. So they'll come back. They have more opportunity for us to be, you know, you know, a resource for them, but that, that drop in, it's yeah, it's a, it's a one-time major loss on that sale. They're not coming back and they're not getting what it is that we know that they're there for. When to add to the sort of original tangent point here too, I'm just doing the calculation here, 30, <laughs> 30 bucks divided by, let's say I do five, five classes. I spend $6 a class. The reason why I'm pointing this out is there is a narrative in a lot of wellness businesses and yoga businesses around accessibility Like, I mean, accessibility and inclusivity are on the core principles, tenants, value points for like everyone out there, but putting them into practice is where often the industry can fall short. So it's something to certainly really gut check on, but making your drop-in cheap 
does not make me finding a habitual yoga practice and you helping me improve my life more accessible. It just makes it easy for me to only spend a little bit of money right now today. Actually, accessibility to a habitual practice to get what I actually want, which is why I got there in the first place, is me upgrading to the other thing and having incentive to have a regular practice. So it's actually a better deal for me to spend more money. I'm only paying six bucks a class if I come five times. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's, it's flipping that too, that sometimes the reason for some of our pricing strategy or some of our sales reluctance is, is it's a misinterpretation of something we're trying to own up to like accessibility. And really it's the, not the type of accessibility that we're trying to create. We're trying to create accessibility to what? To a yoga practice, not a single yoga class. If you just want to have accessibility to a single yoga class, just do it for free. Mm, yes, that's so good. Yeah, I, I, I can, I just, um, yeah, I just want to double down on that. Like if you're listening and this, uh, I hear this so often with my clients, too, just like I want to be accessible and I know they're coming from a really heartfelt place. They do want yoga in the hands of literally everyone that they can reach. But at the end of the day, you're only making that single drop in rate accessible that, you know, I mean, at, if you're listening, I'm sorry, those $6 classes that I'm seeing out there with some people doing Zoom drop-ins, I'm like, come on, y'all. Like, you're not serving anybody with that price. Yeah. It's just not. So, including yourself. <laughs> well, and also, bigger picture. Play the bigger picture, right? Like, again, yoga's taught you everything you already need to know about business. It's called a yoga practice, not a yoga do. It's a lifelong thing. When you, you don't ever win at yoga. Like that's the challenge question from perspective. At what point are you like, I think I saw a video once. It was really quite comical. This guy does this pretty advanced uh, yoga sequence, like one arm handstand stuff and whatever else. And then he comes up and he walks over his girlfriend and he's like, that's it. I just did the most advanced sequence. I think I'm done with yoga. <laughs> it was just like <laughs> the most hilarious thing ever because when are you, when are you done? Like, when are you going to check that box and be like, yep, shouldn't practice yoga anymore. Like shouldn't meditate, shouldn't do breath work, shouldn't have introspection. Never. So let's take that ethos and apply it into your business too. At what point, when we're talking about accessibility, what type of accessibility, like, where do you want the accessibility to be? Really? I want you to have accessibility to yoga practice longer term, which means from just a pure business standpoint, my primary uh, obligation as the owner of the business is I have to make the business survive. If I close, I can't help anyone. That's the least accessible thing you could do. So it's not a selfishness thing even. Not that it's not okay to be a little selfish and take care of yourself business-wise either, but it's like have that bigger perspective. Yeah, yes. A closed business is completely inaccessible. <laughs> end of the day like <laughs> and if you like as you were saying you know you ingest but like if you know being a little selfish as a business owner is not not necessarily a bad thing and I think too you know we kind of come from this you know this act of selfless service this seva and I there's so much beauty in that but also too at your if it's at your own detriment where you can't show up and you know work the front desk at 7 a.m when you need to or teach the classes that are on your schedules 
or lead your teacher trainings because, you know, you're, you're so panicked about being able to pay your rent this month that that's consuming you, then again, we come back to inaccessibility. Yeah. I mean, I, the other thing is there's a difference and this is, in my opinion, a cultural misunderstanding of some of these principles when we talk about it from a yoga perspective of this idea of karma, dharma, uh, giving back, like that sort of energetics of it. The misunderstanding is we've twisted that from our cultural belief system with martyrdom. So giving to someone else at the cost of yourself actually breaks some of the rules of a lot of yoga philosophy. You know, the idea of, it's like the idea of ahimsa of non-harming. It's not just that you don't do harm, it's that you would willingly stand against harm. The uh, satya of like non-stealing, it doesn't mean like don't steal. Of course, that's part of it. It also means you can't accept being stolen from. Mm-hmm. And you also, in a weird twisted way, cannot steal from yourself. So if you are giving out all the time and there is no reciprocity, you are breaking your own yoga journey. Dang, we're serving it up. <laughs> That's so good. Like it's so true. And I love, I love that translation. And it's, it's not one that we, at least in you know my circles that I've heard, it's like, you can't, you don't stand, you know, for harm. You don't stand for stealing. Like you, you have to actually be a force against those things. And that includes towards yourself. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, and maybe this is opinionated, but my interpretation across all of this conversation has always been one of the primary teachings of a yoga practice is self-care first. It's to put your oxygen mask on in the plane before the person beside you. And it's very simple. We all understand it at our core. It's just built into us. If I can't help myself, how the heck can I help someone else? So when I talk about it from a business perspective, it's not, the, the detail here is you don't put yourself first at the major cost of other people, but putting yourself first to make sure that you are safe and sound, your business is safe and sound so you can actually serve people. That's not selfish at all. In fact, that's your obligation. You should be doing that. Mm, yeah, that, that's really, really good advice. And I think we could all take a, a little closer look in in some of those ways, for sure. So very good. I love it. Okay. This is a simple principle. And I mean, it's simple to say, but to put into practice will take, take some practice, but I would call this the golden rule of sales. So like literally, if you're looking for practical, how do I get good at sales? If you took nothing else from this conversation, this is it. The salesperson controls the structure of the conversation. The purchaser controls the content within the conversation. That's it. I love it. That's, you know, it's very simple too. And it's a, I think too, when I think about sales conversations, I, I almost don't even, you know, just in general terms, I just think about the sales person. They're just, you know, driving everything. And it's actually a two-way street. There's two people involved in this. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that, well, that's the, the thing too, whoever's, if someone's, if someone has complete control in driving, then they're not considering the other person. I mean, when we look at like, who are good salespeople, it's why yogis and passionpreneurs actually tend to be incredibly good salespeople if they put a little effort into 
getting themselves there. Um, the best salespeople would often, like we've all dated that person that's like, I can sell anything to anyone, like the super charismatic, fast talking, whatever else. Those are often not the best salespeople <laughs> uh, because the best salesperson is actually the best listener. It's the person and listening, there's a big difference between hearing the words that are said and listening to what is being said to you. Those are not the same thing. So the best listeners are the best salespeople because they're able to correctly read the person in front of them, interpret it and respond to that. Because again, you are reassuring them and confirming things for them and giving them confidence in yourself and in the product, yeah. not convincing them of something. Yeah, that's, that's so true. Uh, I, yes, I'm sure we can all think of those like really slick salespeople that have been in our lives in one, one way or another. And maybe if we all looked back, they're probably not the best listeners. <laughs> <laughs> right, because that's when you have what's, that's when you have buyer's remorse. Like even yeah. if they convinced you to buy something and then you buy it afterwards, you're like, eh, you're like not excited about it. And from a service industry standpoint, that is literally the worst thing that can happen in a sale. That's actually worse than failing at selling it. Mm. Because then you have the antithesis of a brand evangelist. You have someone who's like, has apathy or would say something negative about you. And that, that can spiral down really fast. So that's actually something you want to very actively avoid. But going back to the golden rule, if you control the structure of the conversation. So here's the parameters of what we're talking about, but everything that is in the content has to do with the person in front of me. It's what they tell me they need to hear, what they tell me that they're asking about. I'm actually listening to them and being empathetic about it. It's about them. That's who we're serving. So the way that you do that practically is you ask questions. Mm, yeah. For sure. And that just naturally will engage, you know, a you know, two-way conversation for which you can pull information from and help them, you know, basically make that transformation that they're after. Right. Yeah. That's so good. Okay. The golden rule. That was tip number two. So awesome. <laughs> okay. So this is one of my favorite questions because especially, you know, for folks like you who have, you know, a ton of experience and I know that we can all learn, learn from uh, your path. So if you could go back into any version of your business or previous version of you and tell yourself a little something that would save you a sleepless night or two, what would it be? Um, yeah, if I could go back and tell myself anything across any of the businesses I've been part of, I would still tell myself this today, the truth is, but it would be just relax and do one thing at a time. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good advice. I think in entrepreneurship, you know, we use the word yogapreneur, which is a little deeper definition maybe there, but but it, entrepreneurship is deciding that you are going to take larger than normal risk to pursue serving whatever a product is through a business to other people. And the personal journey of entrepreneurship will require you to increase your knowledge and skill set in ways that you never originally set out to. Or if we sum all this up, like at any moment in time, there are a million and one things that you could do. 
the real skill is identifying the thing or couple things that will actually have the most impact to where you're really trying to get to and just actually doing them. Yeah, that's so. That's uh, really, really good advice. I mean, I think even if you're listening to this podcast right now, you're probably thinking about several other things that you could be doing with your time. And I, as entrepreneurs, we're always in that in that mode. But just slowing down and you know focusing in on the thing that's actually going to make movement for your business, which it might be sales. If you're listening to this conversation. <laughs> it's going to make all the difference. If you're just putting in the work without any expectation and just focusing in and letting the fruits of your business, you know, grow really. Yeah. Totally. I also really believe, you know, and this is a personal belief just through experience. And I wouldn't say that I can put it into practice perfect in all cases, but you know, as humans, we're hyper intelligent and you can consider contemplate and, 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 take on many things in a very short period of time. What you can't do is do many things at the exact same moment in time. So if you really want to accomplish, like really check the boxes you know, from a business perspective, especially, the more that you can stay very narrow on the path and accomplish the specific things you're trying to do and not tangent and not get distracted, the more focused you can be, the more success you will have and the faster you will have that success. Your ability to accomplish anything in your business is directly proportionate to your ability to focus on it. Mm, that's an excellent quote. I love that. And I, you're so right. Anytime, you know, I think, I feel like this, uh, scurry and hurry energy sometimes can be a part of entrepreneurship or, or maybe a lot of times if we're honest and, you know, that's, that's, that's prey animal energy. That's, that's not something that's actually going to, you know, take us forward and, and, and making, and making these like big moves and big shifts in our business and, and taking us where we, we want to go ultimately. So excellent advice. We'll, we'll definitely take that one on. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So what kind of cool things do you have coming up that we can check out? How can we hang out with you? Yeah. Um, well, the primary way, if you want to get in touch, hang out. If you are a yogapreneur, which is defined as someone who is got a primary way that they're making their living. It doesn't have to be the primary way you make your living, but like you are on the weekly basis offering some sort of yoga service to people. Um, to improve their lives, you can join my group, the Yogapreneur Collective. Literally go to theyogapreneurcollective.com. It's free to join and be in the community. Um, of course, there's other tiered levels and coaching and options and stuff like that. But, you know, the mission with the Yogapreneur Collective for yogis is just really to create a space that is specifically designed for a deeper level conversation about yoga and entrepreneurship, having a sounding board, and also aggregating resources and people who are also approaching their business the same way that you are. The thing that I think um, yogis especially are surprised by, because when you're a student, you have the other students. When you're a teacher, you have the other teachers. And then suddenly when you own the business, you have you. So despite friends, family, everyone being positive and supporting, to say that the weight is on their shoulders is not true. It's weirdly isolating at the top. So the power of having a community of people who are in the same industry and same business as you that you can lean on and have a conversation with, 
as well as there's myself plus five other coaches in there answering questions, doing videos, whatever, all the time. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm not even sure how you put a number to it. It's very good. <laughs> <laughs> so that would be primary way. If you are not a yoga entrepreneur and you want to reach out, um, I'm on all the social media channels. Be happy to hook up with you on LinkedIn, for example, or on TikTok or something like that. And if there's something I can do to help you, I'd be happy to have to do it. Oh, that's awesome. Yes. That, and the Yogi Preneur Collective sounds incredible. So we'll definitely put a link in the show notes for folks to join and uh, your Instagram handle and all the handles as well. So they can follow along all, all the cool things that you're doing. So thank you so much, Josh. This was so much fun. And I learned so much. I know that we all did too, that are listening. So we're grateful for you. Really appreciate you um, for having this organized so nicely and, and, and providing the service to people, Jessica. Thank you so much. Come again sometime. Of course. Thank you. I just love that chat with Josh so much. He really tells it like it is. And I so appreciate that. I learned a ton when it comes to sales and I hope that you did too, that you're really ready to show up and sell in your business because it truly is our path. So go give him a follow on Instagram. It's at the Yogipreneur Collective. You can also find him on TikTok at Josh Brio and his website is joshbrio.com. If you're interested in joining the Yogipreneur Collective, there's a link here in our show notes. I'd love for you to check it out and then send me a DM on Instagram at jessicacross.co. Let me know. How are you feeling about sales in your business? Are you starting to come around to the idea that sales really is a service? I'd love to know more. So send me a note and until next time, keep showing up in your business and we'll catch you on the next chat. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Off the Mat podcast and give yourself some gratitude for taking action in your wellness business journey. Please share this episode with someone you know who could use a fresh dose of inspiration. And we'd be thrilled if you would rate, review, and subscribe to Marketing Off The Mat on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to share an idea with Jessica? DM her at jessicacross.co on Instagram to continue the conversation or find out how she can help you take the next right step in your business. Until next time, stay inspired and keep showing up.